Turn to 2 Samuel 7. We're in the third week of our Advent series. Typically, Advent is the four weeks leading up to Christmas, but I had to miss last week. So, uh, we are going to break the rules, and uh, our Advent series will run into next week, so we'll have some Christmas leftovers next week. Last time I said I want to spend the rest of our time in this series trying to focus on two of the main things that are said about Jesus surrounding His birth. (coughs) Number one is that Jesus is Savior. Number two, He is King. These aren't the only two two things said. Uh, They are simply two of the main things. And last time we focused on the fact that Jesus came to save. This week and into next, Jesus came to rule. Jesus is King. Uh, This week, we're just going to do more of a survey of quite a few Bible passages in order to try to get a grasp of the biblical narrative. uh, We're going to work our way through some Old Testament passages and into a New Testament passage. My hope is that as we see the biblical narrative unfold, we understand more of what is being said about Jesus uh, when we say Jesus is King. It didn't come out of nowhere. Uh, the Bible builds to the unveiling of the king uh, for hundreds of years. All of redemptive history, it's one of the main themes in redemptive history. So really, we're just doing Bible study today. We're going to kind of dig into some of that next week. Uh, I'll give you a little bit of a historical background before we read our passage in 2 Samuel 7. So it was about 2000 B.C., And God called a pagan named Abram to leave his house and home and and follow him. He promised him that he would have a bunch of descendants. He promised him that he would have a bunch of land. God then changed his name to Abraham. Abraham and his wife Sarah had a son named Isaac. Isaac had a son named Jacob. Jacob's name was later changed to Israel. Jacob had 12 sons. They became the leaders of the 12 tribes of Israel. So the nation of Israel is born. And through a wild series of events, the nation of Israel ended up in slavery in Egypt. They were slaves in Egypt for generations, about 400 years. But God rescued Israel out of Egypt as He had promised that He would do. That was about 1500 B.C. Moses was the one that God used to lead Israel out of Egypt. He then gave the law through Moses to the people of Israel at Mount Sinai. But God raised up another leader, Joshua, to take the people of Israel into that promised land that He had promised Abraham long ago. The people of Israel served the Lord during Joshua's reign, but, um, but when he died, they abandoned the Lord. And because he did, because they did, God let them go their own way, you know, just eat your heart out, and He turned them over to the uh, hands of the enemy nations that plundered them. But because He's merciful, God raised up judges uh, to save them out of the hands of those who plundered them. Right now, if you just kind of go through the first six books of the Bible, that's what we're talking about right now. That's kind of the order of events. However, they didn't listen to the judges either. Those were some dark days in Israel. Uh, It says in the book of Judges where everyone did right in their own eyes. Samuel was the last of the judges. And he served as a prophet and a priest as well. Uh, But the people didn't want him. They wanted a king. So God used Samuel to anoint the first king in Israel. That was King Saul. But King Saul eventually lost the throne. And the second king in Israel was King David. David ruled around 1000 B.C. 
When David was anointed king, God made a covenant with him. And uh, we're going to read some of the promises of that covenant in 2 Samuel 7. So God sends the prophet Nathan to speak to David on his behalf. 2 Samuel 7, I'll read verses 12 through 17. This is the Word of God. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers when you die... I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. In accordance with all these words and in accordance with all this vision, Nathan spoke to David. So one key interpretation uh, clue here that might help any confusion as you read this passage is that this covenant has an immediate fulfillment in the next generation with David's son Solomon. So some of what's being said here is pointing to Solomon, but it has an ultimate fulfillment in Christ Uh, And we'll see that as we go on today. So just look at some of the promises that are made in this passage. Verse 12, God promises an offspring to David, right? A descendant. Also in verse 12, God promises to establish this descendant's kingdom. Verse 13, God promises to establish his kingdom forever. Verse 14, God will be his father. He will be God's son. What I want to show you is that this was an extremely significant event in the history of the nation of Israel. But not only for Israel, as we will see, it's also extremely significant in our history as Christians because Jesus is the fulfillment of these promises. But we're not there yet. I want to continue to see the biblical narrative unfold so that we can understand more the weight of what we're saying when we say that Jesus is king. This covenant with David becomes uh, very important to the continued biblical narrative, turn to Isaiah chapter 9. So David ruled around 1000 BC, and uh, under his rule, Israel enjoyed their greatest years of conquest, conquest that led to an unparalleled peace and prosperity, not only under David, but also for a time under his son Solomon. But Solomon turned away from the Lord. You you may know that story. He became the wealthiest man in the world, and he used his wealth to pursue his lusts with foreign women. He had 700 wives and 300 concubines, which is basically just live-in girlfriends. And uh, because of this, the Lord promised to tear the kingdom from him. The foreign women turned away his heart from the Lord. Ultimately, uh, Solomon's rebellion led to the division of Israel. So then there was a northern kingdom, which was still called Israel, and there was the southern kingdom, now known as Judah. They split around 900 B.C. Both Israel and Judah continued in their own ways to rebel against the Lord and His ways. So then the Lord would, he sent prophets to speak to His people. And generally speaking... Uh, the prophets had two main roles. Okay, Number one, they were pronouncing present judgment on God's people for their sin. Like, 
this is what got you into this mess. This is why all this is happening. This is why everything's falling apart. And number two, they were announcing a future hope for God's people. Present judgment, future hope. That's important to remember when you think about the prophets. So the prophet Isaiah came to God's people around the time that the northern kingdom was being taken over by Assyria, just around 700 B.C. He announced that Assyria would be a tool of judgment in God's hand uh, to you know, punish Israel for their unfaithfulness. And he also warned the people of Judah uh, that they too would be judged for their sin. He prophesied the uh, exile into Babylon that would come just a hundred years later. But he also talked about the future hope for God's people. So he's not only talking about what's happening now, he's also talking about what's going to happen in the future. God is going to remain faithful to you even despite your unfaithfulness. And that's what we're reading in Isaiah chapter 9. I'll read verses 6 and 7. Isaiah 9, 6 and 7. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it, with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So what are the promises of God here? There will be a child, a son. He will be king. He will rule. Uh, he's the heir to the throne of David. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end from the time that he is established and forevermore. So the point is, though things were bad for God's people at this time, they would not always be that way. What the prophet Isaiah is saying is that another king David would come again. That king who led them into the greatest period of conquest and, and ensuing peace and prosperity that they had ever known. Um, but even then, David had a limited rule. David's governing influence had its limits. The king that Isaiah is prophesying about, his governing influence will have no limits. Remember, God made a covenant with David around 1000 BC. I told you that was a significant event in the biblical narrative. 300 years later, the hope that Isaiah is prophesying to God's people for the future is rooted in this covenant that he made with David in the past. But Isaiah was not the only one. I'm going to show you a couple more from Ezekiel and Daniel. Uh, turn to Ezekiel 37. Again, the point that I want you to see is that these promises of a king and his kingdom that God made to David take center stage in the development of the biblical narrative. God's people are in dire straits, but it won't always be so. The prophet is prophesying about the king who is to come and his kingdom that will never end. Um, one of the main ways that the future hope is packaged in, in the prophets uh, is defined in terms of the new covenant. They're talking about this new, uh, everlasting, unbreakable covenant, sometimes called the eternal covenant of peace or something like that. Of course, we know that they're talking about the, the new covenant that's been established in Jesus Christ. Because we have the, but they didn't know that at the time. It hadn't happened yet. But we're in a section of Ezekiel where Ezekiel is prophesying the new covenant. If you've been in this class very long, you've heard me talk about Ezekiel 36, verses 26 to 27, which says, I will remove the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. 
I will put my Holy Spirit within you and cause you uh, to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. That's a new covenant prophecy about conversion, about the transformation of, of the believer. The Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of us. He transforms us. You know, our, the center of who we are is just different. We're now responsive to God and His ways. Um, we're still dealing with new covenant prophecy in Ezekiel 37. Look at verse 24. My servant David shall be king over them, and they shall all have one shepherd. They shall walk in my rules and be careful to obey my statutes. And he goes on, and, and there's more. Of course, he's not talking about the original King David. Um, he's talking about that offspring of David that God promised long ago in that covenant with David. Here again we see that that covenant with David plays a vital role in the future hope that is being promised to God's people, and it's just a central part of the unfolding of the biblical narrative. Isaiah prophesied just before 700 B.C. Ezekiel prophesied 150-ish years later, and they're both proclaiming the future hope for God's people that is rooted in God's covenant with David uh, that he made before. Now turn to Daniel chapter 2. And again, when we see these things, these aren't different kings and different kingdoms that are being prophesied. It's it's a thread that runs through, um, uniting everything. So Daniel was a prophet around the same time as Ezekiel. He was exiled to Babylon with the people of Judah, but was one of several young Jewish men who was called to serve in King Babylon, uh, King Babylon, King, uh, the king of Babylon's court. That's King Nebuchadnezzar, who conquered Judah and brought them into slavery. Um, one day, Nebuchadnezzar has a troubling dream. And God reveals to Daniel what, what the dream is and, and what it's about. Gave him the ability to interpret it. Um, so Daniel is brought to Nebuchadnezzar to interpret his dream. Now Nebuchadnezzar was the most powerful king in, uh, with the most powerful kingdom in all the earth. And Daniel told him that his dream meant that there would be another kingdom rise up after his. So Babylon isn't going to be the great world power forever. There's going to be another kingdom, and then there's going to be another kingdom... And then there's going to be another kingdom. Uh, Now, some scholars understand these four kingdoms to be Babylon, then Persia, then Greece, then Rome, which were these great world powers around that time, which makes sense, particularly when you understand what he's about to say, has to do with this king and his everlasting kingdom coming around that time. Uh, But regardless of that, look at Daniel 2.44. Daniel 2.44. And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. God's kingdom. Another another prophet prophesying the everlasting kingdom established by God, the kingdom that was promised to David in 2 Samuel 7. Um... Look at Daniel 7. Daniel 7, 13 and 14. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man, and he came to the Ancient of Days, it's a name for God, and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom. Dominion is just, you know, rule, reign. 
To him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. So, more talk about this coming king and his everlasting kingdom. Uh, And here we find out that not only will the people of Israel serve him, but all peoples, nations, and languages. Remember that passage in Revelation Behold, I looked, and there were people from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation around the throne worshiping uh, the Lamb. So, He's like David in that he's going to rule over God's people, but in reality, David's kingdom can't hold a candle to this coming kingdom. Uh, David is what we would call a type. He he prefigured it in a way to let us know kind of what it's going to be like, but the coming kingdom and king is much greater than that. So this is what we've seen so far. God made a covenant with David around 1000 B.C. where He promised to raise up an offspring of David and to establish His kingdom forever. It was also said in that passage that God would be a father to this offspring. He would be God's son. We move ahead in the biblical narrative and we find that the promises of that covenant with David are central to the hope for the future that the prophets are proclaiming to God's people during their darkest days when all seems lost. In Isaiah 9, Isaiah talks about a child being born, a son who is a gift. He is a king, heir to the throne of David. And when he is king, there will be no end, it says, to the increase of his government, of his reign, of his influence, and and no end to the increase of peace. Ezekiel picks up on this theme as well. Speaking of the new covenant, he says, My servant David will be king over them. Um, Daniel as well. God is going to establish another kingdom, his kingdom, that conquers all other kingdoms and lasts forever. All these other kingdoms, they'll have their end, not this kingdom. It says, There came one like a son of man, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. It's an everlasting dominion. It will not pass away. The kingdom will never be destroyed. Now look, I might be belaboring the point, but I just want you to see that this is a... I haven't gone to all the passages, but it's a major point, a major theme in the development of the biblical narrative. Now turn to uh, the New Testament, Luke chapter 1. As you're turning, consider this. It wasn't long after the time of the prophets, like Daniel and Ezekiel, it wasn't long after them until what is known as the silent period. So the northern kingdom fell to Assyria. The southern kingdom was conquered. The people were taken into Babylon before and during that time. The prophets came, um, you know, telling them how they ended up here and, and promising them future hope. Uh, Now, God's people eventually got out of captivity in Babylon, but things really never got even close to back to where they were. I mean, they lost their identity as a nation and everything just fell apart, um, not even close to where it used to be. And then from about 400 B.C. until the birth of Christ, God was silent. He didn't speak to His people. You know, we turn from the Old Testament to the New Testament in a matter of a second or less uh, with, with relative ease, But the reality is there was an extremely long period, dark period of silence between the Testaments. God didn't speak to His people for some 400 years. All seemed lost. You know, Rome taking over the world during that time. 
and you know taken over. That's why when we get to the New Testament and we see why are they under Roman rule and what's all these you know the Roman census and different things like that because Rome conquered the world and and that included the people of Israel. Everything seemed lost. Their identity seemed lost. But what was the last thing or one of the main last things that God gave His people to cling to before the silent period? He talked about a future hope. And central to that future hope was this Savior King, the Messiah, the one who would come and, uh, of course, save God's people from their sins. We looked at that last time. But the one who would be established by God as King and whose kingdom would be established by God forever. (coughs) So we open to the beginning of the New Testament. God has not spoken to His people in some 400 years, but He speaks again. He sends a messenger, an angel, uh, to speak His word to His people. And what does He say? He picks up right where He left off. It's time for the promise of the Savior King uh, to be fulfilled. So here's one of the things that the angel says, speaking to Mary in Luke 1. Look at verses 30 through 33. Luke 1, 30 through 33. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. So remember that covenant with David. The promises which became central to the hope that the prophets were promising to God's people for the future in their darkest years. Promises about a son of David who would be a son of God. He would be king. He was the heir to the throne of his father David. His kingdom would be established by God from that time forth and forevermore. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there would be no end. This king and his kingdom would never be destroyed. And and when we get to the New Testament, he's here. Jesus Christ. Christ also means Messiah. Christ is the Greek word for Messiah, which is the Jewish word. Jesus the Messiah, the Savior King. He is great. He is the Son of the Most High, the Son of David. The Lord has given to Him the throne of His father David. He is the heir. Um, But He rules over all. Over all nations. Over all peoples. And of His kingdom, there will be no end. So, the point today is simply to say, when we're celebrating Christmas, what do we celebrate? One thing that we celebrate is this long-awaited King who was born, and indeed reigns. Now, we've done more of a survey of the passages. Uh, I said we were going to do that. We're going to dig more into these passages next week um, to think about some of the implications of, of what we've read. But really my purpose today is just to show you the continuity in the Scriptures, the development of one of the key themes of the biblical narrative, this theme of the King and His Kingdom. And... Um, I think it's really helpful because the Bible feels so much smaller when you understand how it all fits together. Like what was going on at what time and and why this and that. And also, Jesus gets much clearer because He is the point. I mean, everything in the Bible is moving towards 
Him, and everything after Him is simply unpacking Him. You know, that's how it all fits together. The main application that I want to make today um, really just has to do with your own personal Bible study. Um, I'm in a group with some guys on Tuesday morning and a lot of times I'll turn to the Old Testament and things and there's this one guy who always laughs and, you know, oh, I could never do that. You know, I mean, just all those years of study, it's like, that's really not uh, it at all. And so what I want to say to you is, it's not that hard, I'm going to show you and uh, you can do it the same way that I've done it. Um, so maybe you grew up knowing a lot of Bible stories, but didn't really know where they fit. You, David and Goliath, that's a great story about killing your giants, right? Well, no, it's, it's bigger than that, and it's pointing to the ultimate uh, shepherd king, Jesus. So how do you connect the dots? Um, this is, these are just a few tools that I've used. One is, and I've said this in here before, but one is a Bible with references. If you don't have a Bible with references, don't throw the one you have away, but go get one with references. And what I mean is, um, my Bible has, you can't see this, but there's like, it's the middle column, or it might be in the, in the margin, Every verse has little letters inside the verse and it's coordinate in the margin. And so I'll just pick one. In verse 18, the letter A by this little phrase, my wrath will be roused. And then you look over here in the margin, verse 18. It shows you a coordinate in the Old Testament most often. You know, and so it does that. And honestly, the way that I have learned how the Bible fits together is not... Seminary classes, I'm like not very far at all in seminary. I mean, I've taken a few classes, most of them Greek and Hebrew, which that doesn't help here (laughs) Uh, at all. But honestly, the way that I have learned how the Bible fits together more than anything is just reading my Bible and seeing, okay, this is referencing something in the Psalms. And so I turn back there and I read it. And the more that you do that, the more that you start to recognize stuff. Man, that sounds familiar. Where's that? And uh, it's just a great way to read your Bible. Something else that complements this would be a good study Bible. Um, because in a study Bible, not only do you have the verse references, but you're also going to have some further commentary that will explain some things that maybe you weren't quite connecting the dots with, which is fine. Uh, the best one that I know of in that regard is the ESV Study Bible. It's just as far as all of the the you know documentation and different things, the concordance and I say even that word and that's scary. Concordance. It's not scary. It's just the little thing in the margin that tells you where to go from here. Um, and I'm not trying to talk to you like you're stupid. I just I'm telling you this is simple tools. These are simple tools that will totally open up the Scriptures for you as you see how it connects. Maybe you're an e-reader. Maybe you read online. A great resource that I use every week is Bible Gateway. It's free. Uh, it's not that in-depth uh, as far as like how to use I mean, there's other resources that are like, oh, I can't even you know, begin to navigate this. But Bible Gateway is a free online site. You, you type in a passage... I'm going to read this passage or a chapter or two chapters or whatever. And then in the margin, you can click study this and there's study Bibles and different commentaries and things like that. Um, Bible Gateway. 
So to end, I would just say this. If you're not reading your Bible regularly, please start. And if you feel too overwhelmed to know how or where to get started, please ask someone. That's okay. Um, Ask me. But reading your Bible regularly is vital to uh, spiritual health. Not just reading. Do read, but also do some digging around. This cross-referencing thing. You know, like, well, that's talking about something back there. Let me read that passage that it's talking about. Um, You know, ask God in prayer to help you connect the dots, to see some of the significance. Because ultimately, we want to know Christ. and, And it all connects to Him. And we can't just read... You know, we see these verses and we hear these things, Jesus the King, and we sing them around Christmas. It's like, but there is a whole context to that that is rich and deep. And, and if we can just even begin to get there, it's good stuff. So not only does it feel much smaller as we understand the themes that tie together, but Jesus, we, our understanding of Him just gets much fuller. Again, because the Old Testament is, is all building to Him. Uh, we do have time for a question or two, sort of, but uh, I, would, I went longer than I had planned, and I want to hear from you if you have a question or thought about study or about the, what we talked about today. Okay, let's pray. <clears throat> Our Father in Heaven... Lord, uh, Your Word is flawless. It really is amazing to see how things fit together. Um, Lord, even to consider that throughout history, in Your providence, by Your sovereign hand, You were guiding and, and leading real events in real time um, to, to, for Your purpose and Your glory, all to the unveiling of Your Son. And uh, Lord, we thank you that you wrote it down, that we have it. We do want to know you more. And uh, Lord Jesus, we want to understand who you are more and more. And the reality is you've given us so much. And so would you just pour out your grace in uh, helping us to, to see these things in your word. But, but more than that, Lord, would you, uh, or along with that, would you help us this Christmas to rest in these amazing promises that not only were made but have been fulfilled uh, in You. That, that You are the King of the great kingdom that never ends. That we're a part of that. Uh, that we are safe in the presence of God. And, and no matter what happens in this world, uh, we are a part of, of the kingdom that never fades. And so, Lord, uh, we do pray that that would bring comfort this Christmas and and wonder uh, and awe as we consider your mighty power. Thank you, Lord. We love you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.